I'd ask you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this week. We'll pick up with verse 8. We're going through the book of 1 Corinthians because it's a book written to a city that's much like Bloomington in every way. Thought it was very sophisticated intellectually. It was very wealthy. It was really into the arts. Um, And it had a lot of the same problems churches today have, namely incest, selfishness, greed, uh, thoughtlessness towards one another when they ate. The rich would pig out. The poor had nothing. And uh, so we're going through this book because we think that uh, it's probably a good one for us to focus on here in Bloomington in 2010. Let us hear the word of God, which is eternally true. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because It is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, there was a conflict at the center of the church in Corinth. They were fighting. And they were fighting over which pastor they thought was best. Now, when I say pastor, you can put in elder, you can put in minister, preacher, whatever your tradition, deacon. But they're the spiritual officers of the church. And they were divvying them up. And some were standing behind Paul. Some were standing behind Peter. Cephas is what he's called. Some were standing behind Jesus Christ. And some were standing behind Apollos. And all four of them were officers in the church. And Paul is writing them saying, don't do that. Don't do that. And one of the ways he says don't do that is he says, look, we're all doing the same work and we're all one in that work. The work is to build up Jesus Christ. The work is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. The only way any of us are able to do the work is because the Holy Spirit is present in our work. But we're one. We are one. Don't focus on us being two or three or four. We're one. Stop fighting and saying, I'm better than Cephas, and Cephas is better than Apollos, and Apollos is better than Christ. We're one. We're one. Be one. You're one. We're one. Christ is the Lord. I'm not the Lord. They're not the Lord. We're one. And he's going on and on and on saying we're one. And you see in your text that it says at the beginning of verse 8, Now, he who plants, in other words, in the church, there are different gifts. Some have the gift of planting, some watering, some cultivating, some fertilizing. He who plants, he who waters, are one. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. All right. And so there's a diversity of gifts. 
But everybody's one, but there's a diversity of rewards. Now, in the university, we're into diversity. We're into pluralism. We're into focusing on the ways that we're many. And so what Paul is showing here is that in the gifts that they have in doing their work, there are many. He says one plants, the other waters. So it's not one, it's two. And then he shows that in the judgment of their work, there will be many. Each man will receive according to the quality of his work. But the one who plants and the one who waters is one. And this is what Paul does over and over again, is he says, this is true and this is true. And we, because we have little minds, always try to see the conflict and say, well, one or the other has to be wrong. You can't have them both. It can't be one and two. Excuse me. It can't be one and two. It has to be either one or it has to be two or three or four. And so if you can picture this graphically, one plants the other waters, so there's like two, but they're one, so there's one, but each man will be judged according to the judgment, and his work will be shown, and he'll receive a reward according to his work. And so both two and a diversity of judgments, depending on each man's work, are true, and one is true. Now, last week we focused on the one. This week I want to focus on the two, three, four, and the Googleplex, all right? He who plants and he who waters are one, different gifts in the church, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. You, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So what we're looking at here is we're looking at work. All of you have been taught to work. You may have learned how to sew, you may have learned how to cook, you may have learned how to study uh, anatomy, you may have learned how to cut grass, you may have learned how to clean houses. You may have learned how to work at McDonald's. Whatever place you work, there are different responsibilities in in the enterprise. All right? And as there are different responsibilities and specializations of the people that work there, so there are different qualities of labor that are done in each of those enterprises. There are people who work in the produce section at Walmart who seem incapable of seeing rotten fruit. And every time you dig under the top, you find rotten fruit underneath. Or whatever else the standards in the produce department are. Let me talk to you about being a pilot. When I was in junior high and the first year of high school, I was a pilot. And there's quality in being a pilot, and there is uh, lousiness, bad work. And what I mean by pilot is I piled it here and piled it there, and that's manure. I worked at a boarding stable, and I cleaned the stalls. And there are two ways of cleaning stalls. One is to take the straw the whole way down to the wood floor and get rid of it and put in fresh straw. That's what you do if you do a good job. But if you do a bad job, which I often did, what you do is you go in the stall, and you want to get done quickly, so you throw straw on top of the wet straw. And eventually what ends up happening is the the horse's hooves get rotten because they're always standing in their own urine. 
But the owner comes in and sees a nice bed of clean straw. And they would have to open up the door, go in, and dig under to find out whether I'd done my work well or, or badly, poorly. All right? And in every job, these distinctions between good and bad work are present, every single one. And we could go through whatever it is that you have been taught to do, whatever job it is, and you've been taught what quality is and what faking it or taking the, sh- the shortcut is. On the railroad, I worked on the railroad for a while, Chicago Northwestern, up at the Proviso Yards. And out in the yards, in the darkness, are men called car inspectors. And those car inspectors are supposed to inspect the cars. Radical concept. And I wasn't a car inspector. I was a car knocker and an air brakeman. And a car knocker is the guy that takes the car after the inspector has seen it and repairs whatever the inspector has found wrong on the car. And I was an air brakeman, and an air brakeman has the job of fixing all the intricate pipes and valves and pistons and pressure tanks and shoes on those cars. And let's just focus on the shoes. The shoes are made of metal, and when there is pressure placed on the shoe, it goes against the wheel, and that's how those cars are stopped. All right? They don't have disc brakes. (laughs) Okay? And here's what's happened. The car inspectors would never really inspect the cars well, and especially the shoes. They would never pull a car off the line and send it to the repair shop because the shoes had worn down and it was time to replace them. Why, I don't know. I suspect because they had to move their body harder to find the shoes than they had some other things, (laughs) you know. So what would happen is we would have a car come into the shop for some other repair And we would find that its shoes had been worn so far down that the frame that held the metal that stopped the car, that frame had been welded onto the actual brake beam by the wearing down. So in other words, if you don't repair it, you know the sound it makes on your car uh, when it gets down to the thing that holds the shoe or the uh, pad? Well they would just keep letting it go until the thing that held the pad was welded onto the beam. Well, once that happens, the only way to fix it is to pull the entire truck assembly out from under the railroad car and break the entire thing down. Because what you have to do is you have to replace the brake beam. What was a tiny little repair, if the man that's the car inspector doesn't do it, you end up having to do the equivalent of heart surgery on a boxcar. And so we were furious when the car inspectors did not pull cars because the brake shoe was bad. It just drove us wild. Because what should have been the work of maybe 20 minutes, just pulling out the pin and putting a new brake shoe on, all of a sudden you had to take the entire boxcar apart. Not the part that's on top of the, 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 the wheel assembly. And I could go through every single job. What happens if you have a bulk tank in your milk parlor and you do not clean it carefully? What happens if you don't wash the cow's udder before you milk her? What happens if you're cleaning a floor and you decide that you're not going to strip it 
the whole way down, but you're just going to take the top layer off and then pour a bunch of wax on top of it. What happens if you decide to paint a house and you paint the house when it's raining or when it's cold or you paint the house without scraping it first? What happens if you have a doctor that doesn't tell you to take off your clothes? Because it's embarrassing. And who wants to take off their clothes anyhow? <laughs> you know, I don't, all right? And so you go to a doctor who's really nice and they let you sit in your dignity. You have your clothes on, you know, he doesn't bother examining you. He just asks you a few questions and because you don't want the indignity of having surgery or having to take medication or having to have tests, you say, I feel fine in every way. What happens if you go to a dentist and the dentist doesn't take x-rays and doesn't probe with that little thing because he knows that drilling is obnoxious. It smells, it hurts, it costs money. And so who of us would go to a dentist who didn't drill? Well, if the truth be told, I think a number of us would, actually. <laughs> you know, have a little conspiracy with your dentist, you know. He won't tell us that our... Who of us would go to a doctor who, when we had a protuberance coming out of our abdomen, would not touch it, would not look at it, would know that it was embarrassing for us to have them call attention to our protuberance. And so they just acted as if there wasn't this thing sticking out. We wouldn't do it, would we? But when it comes to the work of God, <laughs> absolutely every one of us wants a preacher who will lie to us. We don't want sermons that are painful. Now, do you, do you, do you agree with me or are you going to lie to me? If you tell me that you want sermons that are painful, I'm going to say liar, liar, pants on fire, nose is as long as a telephone wire. Because I've been doing this for a long time now. And I'm telling you, nobody wants preachers that drill. Nobody. Except one person. The one person that wants preachers that drill is the preacher who drills. Because then when he's compared to other preachers, people don't resent him. Does that make sense? If you have one dentist who drills, one, just one, you can count on it that he's the one that wants other dentists to drill because he wants the comparisons to make him look good. But if there's only one dentist that's drilling, do you think he's going to be popular? No, he's not. He's not going to be popular. Let's say it this way. If there's a playground and there are a bunch of mothers there with their children and the children are playing and every mother says, you know, my little Johnny is perfect, except one mother who says my little Johnny is a rebel and I have to spank him regularly. Who will be the popular parent? <laughs> you go to family reunions and all your siblings are there with their perfect children who interrupt who steal, 
who scream at the top of their lungs, and you're the one with a child who, when they scream, you spank your child. What happens? The parents say, I'm so proud of Tim and Mary Lee because they spank. No, that never what happens. What happens is they say, why don't you lighten up? Don't you want to be your child's friend? How could you discipline? In other words, everywhere it doesn't matter, we, we reject discipline, but in the places that it does matter, we embrace discipline. Everywhere it doesn't matter, we say, forget the quality. And everywhere it does matter, we say, I want quality, right? Right? And so, for instance, when you fly, I want quality. You go in and you look at the checklist of a pilot, it's mind-boggling. You try to run through the TSA dudes, What's going to happen? You're going to be shot. You try to act as if it's no big deal if you have identification. Won't work. And so where it really matters, we protect quality. We have checklists for the Boeing and how they build the plane. We have checklists for the person that gasses it up, fuels it up. And, and they better do it according to Hoyle. We have little routines for the lights when it comes into the gate. You know, up, up, down, and up, and right, right. We have routines where we x-ray the luggage. You can't walk in without ID. You're going to be x-rayed yourself. And think of the indignity of that. I mean, no expenses spared where it really matters. Right, 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 right. Come on, you're all with me, right, right? When it comes to being very high and possibly hitting the ground at a high rate of speed, we want quality, right? Now, go into the surgery where infections can happen like that and kill you, right? What are the guidelines for sterilization? Can you just cough into the cavity that you're operating in? You know, can you leave the sponges in there after you suture them up? Had a, a pediatric surgeon I was a friend with. He came home one day, he was in a bad mood. Why? Well, I sewed them up with the sponges inside. <laughs> right? No, we have checklists. We have certain uniforms that are, we have certain standards of education before they're ever able to pick up a scalpel. We have certain people. If you're on the cell phone and you're the anesthesiologist and you talk on the cell phone while you're presiding over a surgery, guess what? You'll lose your, you'll lose your privileges, right? When it really matters, <laughs> now you know there's a hook, right? And here's the hook. The hook is there are no standards for preachers. Do you understand what I'm saying? How do you know that I'm worth anything? You don't. I'm up here. <laughs> and how big is the church? That's the standard. Well, this is getting someplace. I guess this could be legitimate. I mean, he wouldn't be up front if this many people were being snookered. Right? And I've just reached the level of sophistication of your judgments and your discernment, haven't I? Because the only way that we judge anybody when it comes to our souls in eternity is by how many people follow them and how many people buy their books and how many people are on their podcasts. I mean, maybe you checked out our denomination, but if you did, you found out we don't have one. 
And so it really must not matter. Because nobody checked your ID when you came in here. And if you'd come running in without being greeted at the door, nobody would have tackled you or shoot you. And if you stood up and gave me the finger right now, if you stood up and started yelling, he's an idiot! You know, probably a couple of the elders would sidle over and say, you know, do you really want to do that right now? But imagine doing that in the midst of the waiting lines at Indianapolis Airport. (laughs) Okay, so here's my point. My point is that when it comes to the matters of our soul, which are eternally important, you remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't fear the one that can only kill your body, but fear the one who can cast your body and your soul into hell. That's what Jesus said. So when it comes to matters of our soul, what we do is we go off into la-la land and just make sure that he tells a shaggy dog story and he seems to be a nice guy. And if he's younger, that's a benefit. And if he wears a turtleneck and is thin like Steve Jobs, that's a benefit. And if he has a degree from a certified school and there seem to be people who are hip around him, that's a benefit. Now, here's my point. In every work, there is quality and there is failure. Every single job. I spent a summer cleaning bathrooms at a motel. And when it comes to cleaning bathrooms in a motel, there are ways of cutting corners, trust me. And when you check into that room and you go in that bathroom, you'll know whether I cut corners. Cursory glance won't cut it. You go in there, and I'll spare you the embarrassment, but there are certain tests for a bathroom. All right, there's certain tests for the produce section of Walmart. There's certain tests for dentists, certain tests for flight pilots. There's certain tests for people that cut grass. And every single job, there are tests, right? What is the test for a pastor? Now, the minute I ask you what the test is for a pastor or for a church, you say, well, I don't even know what quality is. What is the quality of a church? What makes a church quality? And you'd say, well, how old the congregation is. I'd say, oh, really? So if it's young, it's good, or it's old, it's bad? I'd think generally it would be the opposite, wouldn't it? The older people are wiser. And so maybe the older the congregation is, the better. What would you propose as quality for a church? What would you say? Well, I think right about now, many of you would say, The fact that they don't talk about quality, that's quality. Because this is painful, you're drilling. And I'd say, yeah, I know. I'll bet you didn't have a pastor before who drilled. But you know, the thing is, in a university community, there are really high stakes for your soul. There are going to be men in the music school that are going to make a play for your body and want to have sex with you as a man. And I know this because you've all told me this so many years now, I know it. And if you're a woman, there are going to be women that make a play for your body. 
If there are men, there are going to be women that make a play. If you're women, there are going to be men. There are going to be family members that want to have sex with you. There are going to be fathers that beat you. There are going to be parents who tell you you can't go back to school next semester unless you have an abortion first. Well, how do I know this? Because you've told me. The stakes for your soul at IU are absolutely through the roof. You're going to be enticed, if you're bright, by professors who have love you and have a plan for your life. And that plan for your life is going to involve you becoming every bit as proud as they are and being set on a trajectory of making a name for them by being their Ph.D. student and coming up with creative ideas that they can publish on with you as a co-author and appear to still be in their prime when they haven't had an original thought for 20 years. Professors love you and have a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan almost always involves you turning your back on the word of God and on your soul and giving yourself to your intellect. Now, am I saying yes? No. What you did is exactly right. Okay, let's take one question at a time. You said what I'm saying doesn't have anything to do with the scripture we're reading. Okay, so let me answer it. Look at the text. The text says, beginning in verse 8, according to his own labor, rewards... Then if you go down and you see, it says in verse 11, you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and then 12, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. And so it's talking about preachers, and it's saying that some preachers preach with gold and silver and precious stones, and some with wood and hay and stubble. And then it says, and wood and hay and stubble is bad, Gold and silver and precious stone is good. And then it says, well, I'm going to tell you. And it says, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed by fire. What is around after fire? Gold, silver, and precious stones. What is not around after fire? Wood, hay, and straw. The first three stay. The second three are burned up. And that's what it says. It's talking about preachers, and it's saying that their work can be separated into two groups. One, that the fire leaves the work afterwards because it was good work. And the other is the fire burns it up because it was bad work. And so my point is to say that when it comes to preachers, we don't want to do the work of looking at their work to see whether it's good or bad. We don't want to think about preachers being good or bad. We just want them to tell a shaggy dog stories and to not drill. Yes, that's yes, that's what I was doing. I was showing that we don't care because we have standards for every other job, but not for preachers. 
And I was saying, why don't we have standards when it comes to people that deal with our souls, which live eternally, but we do have standards for every other job. And then I said, now we don't even know what quality is. And if you look at the text, the text separates wood, hay, stubble from silver, gold, and precious stones, right? And so I'm saying, how would you know whether you're dealing with silver, gold, and precious stones or whether you're dealing with wood, hay, and stubble? How would you know? Wait a second, I didn't hear that. How was it? Okay, you've said that. I think you're wrong. I think I've shown that you're wrong. I would ask you to suspend judgment that your judgment is right and to think that maybe actually you're wrong about that. I think everything I'm saying is perfectly connected to the text. That's what you said wasn't. I'm not connected with the text. Get back to the text. And what I'm saying is it matters whether your preacher is building with wood, hay, and stubble or with gold, silver, and precious stone, how would you judge? Do you care to judge? That's my premise. And I believe that today in the church, we don't care. We don't care whether or not the preacher is building with one set of tools, one set of building materials, or with the other. Because nobody's ever told us we should judge preachers. And I've said it's very important because you're going to have professors that are going to try to get you to have abortions, to get you to be homosexual, to get you to be proud intellectually, to get you to gossip, to get you to be greedy. And so a lot is at stake. And you need a preacher who is going to deal with you lovingly and firmly to protect your souls. That's what I'm saying. That's my premise. And I think the text is very, very clear in saying that there are two kinds of workmen in the, in the pulpit. There are those who build with cheap goods and are always charging you something but not producing what they charge you to give. And there are others that if you pay them, you get the quality that you've paid them for. How would you judge me? She's good because I'm done with you. Afterwards, I'll talk to you more. She's good because she's judging me. And what's her judgment? At this point, her judgment is what? Her judgment is that I'm not preaching on scripture. I'm preaching on something else. She is discerning the quality of the preacher, and that's good. Now, here's the question. What is the test of the quality of a preacher, of a pastor, of an elder, of a deacon, of an older Titus II woman? What is the test? And here's the answer. Look at the text. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Okay? Verse 13, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. In other words, the test is fire. Now, what fire is it talking about? It's talking about the fire that is always associated with the second coming of Jesus. When Jesus returns, he will be a consuming fire. Our God, you remember this text? Our God is a consuming fire. 
And so when Jesus returns, everything will be revealed. And specifically here, what will be revealed is the quality of the workmen that you've put yourselves under in churches. And it does matter because you have an immortal soul. And so one day soon, my work and the work of everyone who has ever had care for your soul will become evident for the day will show up because it's to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And so here's my question. What do you think? Do you think that, do you think that my work is good, bad? Do, do you think that uh, your pastor back home, his work is good or bad? Do you think your elders are good or bad? And you say, well, that's not respectful. I shouldn't ask such questions. And I say, look, people, it's the word of God. It's putting it right out there for you to see. It's showing you that there are bad workmen in the ministry and that there are good workmen in the ministry. And it's telling you that their work will become clear when Jesus returns. Now, if it's true that the work will become clear, then what this means for you is that you should find a workman who is going to build with Precious stones and gold and silver, right? I mean, isn't that an obvious application of the text? Now, here's the question. How would you know? How would you know whether the one that's preaching for you and caring for you, if you go to our women's ministries, in Titus it says older women teach younger women. How would you know whether an older woman of this or some other church was actually building with precious stones and gold and silver or was building with wood and hay, and straw. How would you know? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) He's going. And it is hard to know, isn't it? But will you agree with me that it's important? Will you grant me that? Because if it's important whether you get on a plane and it crashes and you die... It must also be important whether you go into a church and the church crashes and your soul goes to hell. Can we agree that heaven and hell are what is at stake during worship on Sunday morning? Do we agree about that? Then you need to become a quality assurance agent. And you need to be just as good at testing the difference in preachers as you are in testing the differences in beer. I mean, think of the prejudices some of you have about beer. Or about sitcoms. Or music, say, Bloomington music. Or about which instrument you do play, D, and which one you don't. Go ahead, tell everybody what instrument you don't play, D. The saxophone. D doesn't play the saxophone. And what instrument do you play? The bassoon. In other words, listen. Once again, do you remember earlier I tried to make the case that in every area of your life where it's really important, you know the difference between good and bad work, and you're willing to have people put you through inconveniences to make sure good work happens, like, for instance, an airport. Now, I'm also telling you that when it comes to important things, you have very, very picky standards. 
You know how to discriminate. When it comes to good and bad music, good and bad violas, you know how to discriminate. When it comes to voices, when it comes to sopranos, when it comes to flat and sharp, when it comes to accounting, when it comes to different fast food restaurants, all of you have a highly developed standard that you can articulate when it really matters. Beer. Fast food joints. Do you or don't you listen to emo? What are your standards when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ? And when it comes to the preaching of God's word, what are your standards? And how did you arrive at them? David Carell is a pastor here, and he has a shtick, uh, a riff that he likes to play. And here's his riff. Most Christians today are very good at separating themselves from the Mormons and from the Roman Catholics and from liberal Protestants But once they get to the point of liberal Protestants, their discernment ends, and everything to the right of that is completely okay, and nobody should ever make a judgment about it. Now, do you understand what he's saying? The issue of judging between, well, it's up above, silver, gold, precious stones on the one hand, and wood, hay, straw on the other, That judgment, we're real good at doing it when it comes to Roman Catholics or maybe even not Roman Catholics, maybe just the difference between Islam and Christianity, all right, Mormonism and Christianity, liberalism and Christianity. But once we get there where we've set aside Islam, we've set aside Buddhism, we've set aside New Age wacko-ness, We've set aside the Mormons. We've set aside the liberals that say homosexuality is a gift from God and we should all embrace it. Then, from then on, everything's the same. And he's right. He's right. But let me ask you this. The Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians, and this assumes some knowledge of Scripture on your part. Those of you that don't have the knowledge don't feel bad. But those of you that do have the knowledge, the book of 1 Corinthians Is 1 Corinthians just concerned about Roman Catholic Protestant, about Islam Christian, or about Mormonism Christian, or about liberal Christian? (laughs) How about in the book of 1 Timothy? Is the Apostle Paul just, just concerned about Islam versus Christianity, or liberalism versus Christianity? You know, here's an interesting thing. Again... Let me be absolutely clear. The text tells us we must judge between workmen who work in gold, silver, and precious stones and workmen that work in wood, hay, and straw because at the second coming of Jesus, the judgment will be clear and one will be burned up and the other will survive. That's why I'm speaking on what I'm speaking. All right. And so if it is imperative that we become quality control people when it comes to the difference between gold, silver, and precious stones and wood, hay, and stubble. Here's the question. Wouldn't it make sense that everything the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament is aimed at making us able to tell the difference? 
Would you grant me that? Would you grant me that the New Testament is an effort to make you connoisseurs of truth and falsehood? Connoisseurs of false doctrine and connoisseurs of orthodoxy and heterodoxy and heresy. Connoisseurs of what will burn in the judgment and what will survive. Wouldn't you, in theory, think the entire New Testament is an effort to make you able to make those judgments? It's obvious, isn't it? All right. Remember I said, I'm going to have a hook. Here's the hook. So why is it that every one of you thinks it doesn't matter whether a preacher is male or female? Whether the people that serve you communion are men or women? Whether the person that exercises authority in the Sunday school class by teaching you is a man or woman? Whether the person that gets up in the parachurch organization large group meeting during the week is a man or a woman? Why is it that all of you have said, number one, that Scripture is an attempt to make you able to judge between wood, hay, and stubble on the one hand, and gold, silver, and precious stone on the other, and then I tell you that Scripture hammers home the issue that Adam was created first, then Eve, and therefore a woman is not to teach or exercise authority over a man, and all of a sudden you go into la-la land, you say, well, that's divisive. And I say, yeah, poor Paul, he was so divisive. And you say, well, I'm of Jesus, I'm not of Paul. <laughs> now, you know, I just got you. Because that's precisely what the Corinthians were saying. Some of them, I'm of Cephas. Some of them, I'm of Apollos. Some of them, I'm of Paul. And some of them, I'm of Jesus, not Paul. And so you have the Holy Spirit speaking in Scripture. The Holy Spirit teaching you that it matters. And that if you go to a church where a woman is the one who is teaching and exercising authority, you are building in wood, hay, and stubble. And you say, well, that's so divisive. And, you know, that was nasty Paul. And he was patriarchal. And he was in the ancient world. And he couldn't really escape the, the cloying patriarchalism of his culture. And why did you have to bring that up? Don't you know you're in Bloomington, not Martinsville? Let alone Green County. And I say, okay. So, and I would do it, but you would have a fit if I did it. But I will do physically what you do. You know what I'm thinking, don't you? Huh? Do you know what I'm thinking? Okay, I'll go to that text, and <laughs> here, I'll show you. I'll just tear it out of the Bible, because it's not helpful, you know? It's divisive. And you'll say, well, get back to the text. And I say, well, <laughs> there it is, gold, silver, precious stones on the one hand, wood, hay, straw on the other. The Apostle Paul says, those who have men exercising authority over men and teaching men are building on gold, silver, and precious stones, and those who are having women exercise authority over men are building with wood, hay, and stubble. And one day soon, Jesus will return, and everything will be clear. And you go, oh, please, get back to the Roman Catholics. I'm willing to be divided from Roman Catholics. And I say, are you sure? What if you brought a Roman Catholic from your dorm room 
here this morning. Are you willing to be divided from the Pope? And you say, well, I'm willing to be divided from Islam. I say, are you sure? What if you brought a Muslim roommate here this morning? We've had people bring their Muslim friends to church here. I've preached to them. Listen. My point this morning is to say that it is not sufficient to ask how many people are in church and how many books I've sold to know whether or not what I'm preaching is gold and silver and precious stones and whether it's wood, hay, and stubble, and it does matter to you. And if you're willing to go through the indignities and humiliation of the TSA at the Indianapolis airport and of an examining room at a physician's office and of the x-ray machine in a dental office, if you're willing to schedule an appointment for the inspector, the building inspector, to come and look at your home as it's built, why would you be opposed to having a man who's going to care for your soul examined for faithfulness and for the quality of his materials? If you were to go to Lowe's right now and you were building a house and you were selecting any piece of wood that would be visible after the house is done, not talking about the joists, you know how you examine it. You look for the notch. You look for the warping, right? But here today, how do you know? Now, I'm going to jump from your soul to your mind. And I'm going to say to you that when you go into the classroom during this week, you're putting yourself under the leadership of men and women who will have an effect on your soul. And you need to be quality control agents when it comes to anything that goes in your body. You know how everybody's telling you not to smoke today, right? And everybody's with it. And you know how everybody's telling you to wear your seatbelt, right? Guy stands down on Indiana Street at the, stop, at the stop sign and looks in the cars and then writes you a ticket if you don't have your seatbelt on. So you're okay with people checking to see if you have your seatbelt on. You're okay with people telling you not to smoke cigarettes, right? And you're almost okay with them telling you not to drink until you're 21. And what? Is dope cool now or isn't it? So you're okay with all kinds of meddling in your life that's of the most invasive sort. Imagine a policeman standing at a stop sign looking in to see if you have a seatbelt on your lap. Boggles your mind. But when I begin to press against you and say, so what's the quality of your spiritual life? What's the quality of the professors that are going to be teaching you? All of a sudden, everybody starts getting upset, right? All right. 